Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. Father, we thank you for the truth of Scripture, and as we spend some time trying to better understand the truth of Scripture um, as revealed um, in doctrine and in teaching, I just pray for you to to enlighten us, to bless us. And above all things, though, I pray that these doctrinal truths may not just be ideas, but that they can also change our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe, 28 fundamental beliefs. Okay, very good. Why is, or is doctrine important? Yes or no? Yes. Truth matters. Truth matters. Now, I hesitate to use this example but, um, because I don't want you to get distracted by this example, but there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, talk lately about fake can you finish the sentence? Fake news. That's right. There's been a lot of uh, talk about fake news. Truth makes a difference, right? It makes a difference what people are telling us, what uh, news reporters and anchors and, and television network stations are telling us. That doesn't it matter? Truth surely matters. Truth matters. Mark Twain said, if you don't read the news, you'll be uninformed. And if you read the news, you'll be misinformed. <laughs> How does that sound? That's, that's Mark Twain, and he's talking about what, in the 1800s. But, but don't get sidetracked on that. Truth matters. Truth matters. It makes a difference whether or not people are telling us the truth. Truth matters in relationships, doesn't it? If you have friends, you, you hope that they're telling you the truth. If you have a friend who isn't telling you the truth, where will that relationship go? Truth also matters in questions of religion and spirituality as well. Truth matters. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all Bible truth is a manifestation, really, of Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so every aspect of truth is a manifest, manifestation of Jesus, of his character, and of his person. Jesus furthermore said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is power in truth. And Seventh-day Adventists have focused on matters of truth and doctrine. Now, what is a second aspect of the importance of truth? And I want to illustrate this here with a pyramid. Here we see the importance of truth. The importance of truth relating to knowing, to being, and to doing. Okay? If you have wrong ideas, wrong ideas, false ideas... Uh, do you think that will affect who you are and, and what you do? Yeah. Uh, say someone, just, just for example, just say someone is always told that they're dumb and that they're stupid. Now, is that true or is that a lie? It's a falsehood. That's a lie. No one is dumb. No one is stupid. Okay? But if someone is constantly told you're dumb and you're stupid, what will that person think about themselves? Yeah, low self-esteem. It'll affect their being. It'll affect who they are. So what they know in their mind will affect how they see themselves and how they perceive themselves. And how they see themselves and how they perceive themselves will also affect what they do with their lives. Truth is important. It makes a difference. And then there is this, and then there's this cyclical pattern that happens. What you do also affects what you know and who you are. Truth matters. A second aspect of the importance of truth is the relationship between knowledge, between being, and between doing. Okay? Now, here's the question for you, and I want you guys to discuss this. Can you think of examples 
of how what you believe about God and the Bible can influence you. What examples are there of how what you believe about God and the Bible can influence your examples? And I was going to like break you guys up in groups, but maybe not. How about you guys just share an example from the floor? Think about this. Can you think of an example of how what you believe about God and the Bible actually affects your actions and what you do? Wow, that's a, that's a really good one. I hadn't even thought about that. He said, if you believe that God is stern and severe, you'll relate to him differently than if you think that God is God is love. And that's actually a personal illustration for me because I remember when I was a little kid, I was always afraid of God. I was wondering, you know, what he would do. And then it was only later in life that I learned, no, God is love. He's a loving father. Very good. Um, anyone else? Any other example of what you believe about God can influence what you do? If you believe that God will burn you forever for, say, 70 years of sin, I mean, is that just or unjust? That, that, that's incredibly unjust. I mean, you'll probably end up being an atheist. In fact, there's many atheists who use that argument that the reason they don't believe in God is because of the doctrine of hell. How can a God of love burn people in hell forever and ever and ever and ever? Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. So Beta said that if we don't believe that Genesis is true, Genesis 1 and 2 is true, seven literal days, if that's not true then what else in the Bible isn't true, you know? And, and we have several doctrines that, that, that arise out of the creation story, which one of them is, is the Sabbath. If God didn't, if it wasn't seven literal days of creation, then what's the Sabbath all about, you know? Something else that came out of uh, Genesis was also marriage between a man and a woman. And if Genesis 1 and 2 isn't true, then neither is our understanding of marriage. And uh, we actually see the outworking of that in our society in the present. Very good. And, and there's several other examples of this, but yes, it is so important. What you believe about God and what you believe about the Bible truth definitely affects your actions and how you live. So what I want to do now is I want to take a brief survey of the historical development of doctrine in the Bible, in history, and in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we're going to try to do that in five minutes. How does that sound? Are you ready? Old Testament. You will not find many doctrinal statements in the Old Testament. You will not find many doctrinal statements in the Old Testament. Why? Because the the Middle Eastern mind, the Semitic mind, was concerned primarily with narrative and with story and with relationships with others and with relationship and encounters with God. Are you following me here? And that's why the majority of the Old Testament is what? Yeah, history, stories, you know, stories. But it's in those stories, as we read those stories, it's how we learn how we should live or how we should act, right? And there isn't necessarily, there's theology there, but it's not necessarily outright. It's told through stories. Example of of, of this, I think, of this is the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are primarily concerned with our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, And the Ten Commandments tell us what to do and what not to do, but it doesn't tell us why. That's that's kind of the the theology is is, is the why. The Ten Commandments don't tell us why you shouldn't steal or why you shouldn't lie. It just tells us don't do it. But in the stories of the Old Testament, we start learning why maybe we shouldn't lie. And so we see Abraham, and Abraham had a problem with not telling the truth. And uh, did that work out for him or not? No, it seemed that every time he told a lie, he got himself into a problem. The Lord was gracious and the Lord was good and delivered him out of that problem. But from those stories, we learn not to lie, right? 
You know, and, and that's kind of how the stories in the Bible are in the Old Testament primarily is we learn through the stories. Donald? Oh, that was a little lie. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Imagine, imagine if it would have been a big lie. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Oh, the Old Testament is primarily concerned with story, and from the stories we learn what works and what doesn't work. Examples of Abraham, examples of David, and all the other stories that are there in the Bible. We learn what actions we should do and what actions we should not do. Yes, there are theological constructs in the Old Testament. For example, the sanctuary. The sanctuary was an incredible theological construct, but ultimately, for the Old Testament, what mattered was what someone did and how they lived their life, not so much what they said or what they thought with their mind. How does that sound? Does that sound good? It was concrete, the Old Testament. It's about what you do. It's about how you live your life in relationship to others and in relationship with God. Okay, New Testament. What happens in the New Testament? Well, the, uh, the Jewish mind started being influenced by Greek philosophy. And when you understand history, you understand that uh, Babylon gave way to what kingdom? Medo-Persia. And Medo-Persia gave way to, to Greece. And so now Greece is involved in the Middle East. And the Greeks were all about ideas and philosophies and thinking. And you mentioned some of the greatest philosophers in history came from Greece. Uh, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. You know, these guys were thinkers and they were all about ideas. And so ideas start permeating the Middle East and the New Testament mind. And what's interesting is that the New Testament starts, uh, the first five books of the New Testament starts just like the Old Testament, right? The four Gospels and Acts. What are they? There's stories, there's stories. And then we get a gentleman by the name of Paul, and he starts writing. And Paul was an incredible storyteller, wasn't he? No, that, that, was, a, that was sarcasm. No, Paul does not tell stories. What does Paul do? Paul gives these incredible, intricate theological expositions. We just finished uh, studying the book of Romans. We just finished studying the book of Galatians. And, and some, of that, some of those things in there are just so complicated and difficult to understand. Why? Because now Paul was, was using, whether it was good or wrong, it's just what, what, it's what it was in his time. He was using that Greek mentality of breaking down these, these propositional arguments. And the apostle Peter he says, for the, the wisdom given by God to Paul, he writes things that are sometimes hard to be understood. Peter writes that about Paul's writings. But Paul was using this wisdom and this writing, but Paul starts putting propositional truths of exactly what it is that we believe and what it is that we don't believe. Examples of this in the New Testament, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the first creedal statements or doctrinal statements in Scripture, written by none other than Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Do you notice what it says? For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and then to the... 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also to one abnormally born, or as to one abnormally born out of time. One of the very first statements of what it is that Paul believed. And what did he believe in according to this passage? Christ died for our sins. What else? He was buried. He was raised on the third day, and he appeared. He appeared to others. 
Okay, that's like the first doctrinal statements that we see in Scripture. Here's another one, Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter, chapter 1. And I think this is a fun one because the, uh, the early church uh, creedal statements kind of reflect this one here. Galatians chapter 1. Are you ready? Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a... A different gospel, a different teaching, a different set of doctrinal truths, uh, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be. Yeah, and I think, does the King James use anathema? The King James says, let them be anathema. In other words, let them be under God's curse. If someone comes here teaching a different kind of doctrine and a different kind of teaching, does the truth matter to Paul? Yeah, it really mattered to Paul. It really mattered so much that Paul was like, I'm not going to worry about stories. I'm just going to tell you exactly what we believe in, in, in propositional statements. Here's another example. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary, what? Teachings. Teachings about Christ. And let's move forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Okay, so this is already doctrine in Paul's time about repentance and how you repent. Faith in God is another doctrine. The instruction about cleansing rites. What do you think that's about? What do you think cleansing rites were about? The, the doctrine of cleansing rites. Baptism. And there's another cleansing rite that we practice. Foot washing. Foot washing, yeah, and I think those are the only two. I think those are the only two, right? Baptism and foot washing. So there was already a doctrine in the early Christian church of, of foot washing. And where do you think they got that doctrine from? From the Gospels, where it talks about that. They developed their, their theology from that, okay? The laying on of hands, that's a doctrine as well. Um, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So there was already, Paul already had these doctrinal statements and understanding about what happens to people when they die. Whether they will be raised or not. About judgment to come. About baptism. About repentance. And about salvation. And then Paul warns, as we saw in Galatians, he warns against false teachers. He says, even angels. If an angel comes down and preaches something to you different than what we have taught you, let them be anathema or, or cursed. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul warns them. He says, after I depart, ravenous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock, leading people astray with their false teaching. That's Acts chapter 20. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 1, he says, there were false prophets in the Old Testament times, and so too in our day false prophets will arise, leading many people astray. And then we read in Revelation of the seven churches, and did they have problems with false teachers? And false doctrine in the, in, the, in, the, in the churches? Yeah. We read about the Nicolaitans who had false doctrine. We read about Jezebel. Um, we read about the doctrine of Balaam. We read about all these false doctrines that were coming into the, to the, to the church. And so because false doctrine was coming into the church, it's very important to have a statement of what I believe. Are, 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 you, guys, are you guys with me? Because there's these other false teaching and people are saying this stuff. It's important for me to have a clear statement of, no, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus is, is, uh, is, is God. He's the Messiah. He died for our sins. 
He was resurrected. That's what I believe because there was other people saying different things over here. Are you following me? And so, so uh, doctrinal statements were so important in preserving the unity of the faith and making sure that truth stood, st- stood on, it, on, on, on its own. So here it is. Creedal statements become very useful in protecting us from false teachers and false teaching. So following in this same line of thinking, early Christ- the early Christian church continued to develop their theology and doctrinal statements. And so we've read a few from the Bible, but do you know that there are doctrinal statements that came after the Bible, after the canon was closed? There was other doctrinal statements that the church got together and they said, we have to put some doctrinal statements together. One of the very first ones is, is the creed that was made in the Council of Nicaea in 325. And I want to show it here to you and see what you guys think about this one. See if you agree with this statement or not, right? It's the early Christian church trying to, to say what is Bible truth and what is in contrast to false teaching. Are you ready? All right, here it goes. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. We believe that. Now, this was written in the third or the fourth century. This was the this was the, new, the the church, the early church or the Christian church outside of the Bible, yet making clear what it is that Christians believe, because there's other people that were teaching false things. Here's another one, yeah, and it continues. Actually, it continues. This is part of the same thing here. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Is that true? Yeah, that, that, is, that is very much true. And, and you wonder, why were they so detailed? Why do they have to say, only begotten, begotten of the Father, light of light, the very God, begotten, not made? Why do you think they were saying that? Because during, during those times, there was false teaching about who Jesus was. And they were saying, no, Jesus is not God. Jesus is some lesser form. Or, or Jesus didn't really become a man. And, and well, actually, th- this is another one here that, that, we'll re- that we'll read about a little bit later. There was false teaching. And so the church had to say, no, Jesus is God. He is of the same substance of the Father. Um, he was before all things. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father. You know, it's very important. All right, here's another one. It continues describing Jesus. Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnated by the Holy Ghost and of the Virgin Mary and was made a man. Because there was doctrines in the early church saying that, no, he wasn't incarnate, that he was some type of, you know, spirit being or, I mean, there's all kinds, have you heard of the word, have you heard of Gnosticism? There's all kinds of, Gnosticism was rampant during the early Christian church, and, and the early Christian church was saying, no, Jesus was real, he was a man, he came in our flesh, uh, by the Holy Ghost and of the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Birth, and that's going to be very important here as well, and he was made a man. Here's another one. Was that true? All that true? That's right. And it continues. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. And he suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. It's interesting that they mentioned Pontius Pilate. Why do you think they mentioned Pontius Pilate in this creedal statement? Yes, it's a historical reference. Because they're living, I mean, even though it's the 300s, but everyone in those days knew who Pontius Pilate was. He was a real person who was a governor in Judea. And so they're establishing what Jesus' story in history. It is a real story. It happened. And he was the governor during that time. 
He suffered, was buried, rose again, and he sits on the right hand of God. Is that true? That's exactly true. That's exactly true. Let's keep reading. It continues, the creedal statement. From thence, Jesus will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you could say they were Adventists. He shall come again, they said. They knew he was going to come again. They knew there would be judgment and his kingdom would have no end. It continued, he said, we believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father, who was with the Father and the Son, together is worshiped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. Is this true? Now, notice, notice the incredible detail. It says, we also believe in the Holy Ghost, the, the Lord, the giver of life. And this is very important because there are some people during that time that did not believe that the Holy Spirit is also a, the third person of the Godhead. They believe the Holy Spirit was simply some form of, of essence or disembodied spirit from God. No, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And I think Roger preached a sermon about that and clarified all that for you guys as well. So I'm just repeating that. But it's interesting that they have to be clear. The Holy Spirit is also God, the giver of life, with the Father, with the Son, proceeds from the Father, but he's with the Father and the Son. Do you see that distinction there? He's worshiped, he's glorified, and who's spake by the prophets. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? All Scripture was written by inspiration, by God. It was the Holy Spirit who moved the prophets and inspired Scripture. And let me see here. Is there another one? Oh, this is going to be a good one. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Is this statement true or false? (laughs) I know this is a tricky one here. This is a tricky one because of the connotation. It's a true statement. It's a true statement. Uh, You have to remember that this was written in the third century before the establishment of the Roman Catholic Church as we know it today. And in those times, the word Catholic meant the universal church the apostolic church, the church that Jesus established, okay? Now, later on after this, it, the word Catholic is taken on a different, a different terminology, but what the early Christian believers were saying, no, there is one church that Jesus established, that the apostles established. Do you remember that? And isn't that true? Didn't we read that um, in, in, in Paul's and in the, in the biblical writing? You know, the communion of the, of the saints, it's described. I think there was a question on your quiz Um, We believe that God has always had a visible people on earth at all times. Isn't that right? That is his church. That is the people. Notice what they said. We believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. That's interesting that even in that fourth century, they still believed in baptism by immersion in the one baptism for the remission of sins. It was afterwards that they started sprinkling individuals or doing infant baptism and other forms of baptism. But at this age, they still believed in the biblical doctrine of baptism. And we look for the resurrection of the dead. That's powerful. This is before the idea of the immortality of the soul uh, came on board. The early church still believed that when you die, you're resting in the grave, awaiting the day of resurrection and of and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. All right. That was the early creed. Now you have other creeds called the, the Apostles' Creed and other things like that that continue to develop through time. But the church felt a need to do this to contrast what was false teaching. Did we get that point across? You know, it's important to have creedal statements so we can distinguish and protect us from false teaching and false statements. All right? Is that clear? Okay. So now we come to the future. Seventh-day Adventists come onto the scene. Let me see. Do I have anything else after this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Seventh-day Adventists come to the scene in the mid-1800s. Um, can someone do the math? Uh, that, that, that previous uh, creed was done in 381 or so. 
and uh, Adventists come on the scene about 1844, let's say, right? How many years have passed? 1,400 years, you said? 1,500 years? Now, 1,500 years later, Seventh-day Adventists come onto the scene. And what do Seventh-day Adventists do? Because our, the majority of our Seventh-day Adventist founders, they were already Christians. Now, we had uh, Willie Miller was a Baptist, and, and uh, there, Ellen White was a Methodist, and James White was from the Christian Connection, which was kind of cool because the Christian Connection of, of their days was like the non-denominational of, of our days. So that was kind of cool that, you know, it's not, it's not a new thing to get, trying to get away from denominations. Uh, it's been around for a long while. Uh, the, our founders were Baptists. Our founders were Methodists. Our founders were from the Christian Connection. Our founders were Presbyterian. And do you think that they believed everything that we just read on those creedal statements? Baptism, resurrection, of the, you know, did, did they believe on all that? Yeah, they believed in all that. It was a given. Baptism by immersion, check, we believe in that. Jesus died for our sins, check, we believe in that. Um, the communion, you know, we believe in that, okay? But then something began to happen when they started learning about the neglected truths of Scripture, primarily the Sabbath. And what do you think began to happen when they learned about Sabbath versus Sunday? They started emphasizing that aspect of truth that nobody else was emphasizing. Are you following me? Uh, Sabbath is true. We all believe in baptism. We're not going to talk about that. We believe in salvation. Everybody believes in that. We're not going to talk about that. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the one thing that is being neglected, which is the Sabbath. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, if you notice here, the second coming of Jesus, because it was being neglected. And since those things were being neglected, they felt that Seventh-day Adventists felt that they needed to emphasize what was neglected, what was distinct. So they learned about the Sabbath. They emphasized that. It became a point of emphasis, hence our name, Seventh-day Adventists, it's in our name, Seventh Day. Over time, we felt the need to continue to expound and express our beliefs, exactly what we believed. Now, what was interesting is because when Adventists first, first, um, you know, were first getting established, you know, they probably only believed one thing, and that was this one here, the second coming of Jesus, right? That Jesus was coming again, right? And then they learn about the Sabbath. Let me see, is that the, is that? Oh yeah, that's the second one there, right? Then they learn about Sabbath. So now they have two fundamental beliefs. Um, that, that, that makes you become a, 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 a Sabbatarian keeper or, or Seventh-day Adventist. And then what else do you think they started believing in? Have you heard of the seven S's, of the essence of, um, of Seventh-day Adventists? The seven S's, here they are. Number three, soul sleep. They learned about that. that that's the state of the dead. That's that, you know, when we die, we're resting. We don't go uh, straight to heaven or, or straight to hell. Soul sleep, that's three. Uh, then four, oh, you got it, Sanctuary. Right? They understood the sanctuary, and that's what they emphasized. Number five, let's see here. Salvation, they had to emphasize that as well. Number six, spiritual gifts. That's very important. Again, spiritual gifts is very important. And then number seven, oh, stewardship, faithful stewardship. And that was early on in our beliefs. So in other words, back in the 1800s, to be a Seventh-day Adventist, all you had to believe were these seven things. How does that sound? That sounds good. And then time rolls around. And uh, it's no longer 1844, and it's, it's 1900, and it's 1981. And 1981 rolls around, and we decide to put a book about our fundamental beliefs. And guess how many beliefs were, that we, we had at 1981? 27. We had 27, and now recently we added a new one not too long ago, 28 fundamental beliefs. Isn't that interesting? The longer we go around, the longer we exist, the more we add um, beliefs. Not necessarily that 27 or 28 is a, is, a, is a sacred number, but the idea is the longer we're around, there is more time that we need to explain certain things. 
because different things come up. Now, what's interesting about this is take your, take your uh, quiz. Where's your quiz? There's a, there's a final paragraph on the third page of your quiz that kind of explains this a little bit better, though. Because actually, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, we are really unique. We are really unique in a good way. Do you see that last paragraph there? Okay. Seventh-day Adventists accept what? The Bible as their only creed. So if I were to ask you what, is, what are the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist church, you should say <laughs> there's really only one, right? Um, which is the Bible. We believe in the Bible. Um, why is that? The Seventh-day Adventists hold the Bible as their only creed. And they hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of Scripture. They're trying to make that distinction. Um, and there's an important reason why they're trying to make that distinction. These beliefs, as set forth here, constitute the church's understanding. I, I should, I'm going to insert something in here. The church's current understanding and expression of the teaching of Scripture. And notice what it keeps going. Revision of these statements may be expected at a general conference session when the church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of Bible truth or finds better language in which to express the teachings of God's holy word. That's very interesting there, okay? What they're saying is, we believe that this is the teaching of Scripture, but it's possible, it's possible. Ooh, it's possible. Could it be possible that we may need to make revisions? To our beliefs. Why? Because society pressures us to change our beliefs? Oh, because uh, it's not politically correct anymore to hold certain beliefs? No, why? Why? Because through the Holy Spirit, we may have a fuller understanding of Bible truths or, or find better language in which to express the teaching of God's holy word. You see, Seventh-day Adventists have this incredible, and I'm going I'm to stop here, have this incredible understanding of progressive, that truth is progressive. Not progressive in a political sense, but progressive in that God continues to reveal more and more truth and, and a, a clearer insights into Bible truth. The more we spend time in his word and the more he continues to lead us. The problem with the previous uh, creedal beliefs that we read is that, is that they stayed firm, and if anyone deviated from that, then they would be punished. And then you've heard of something like the Inquisition. Have you guys heard of the Inquisition? If you don't believe exactly like this, then you're going to go to jail, and we're probably going to end up killing you and torturing you until you confess. And Seventh-day Adventists don't want to be like that at all. Uh, we believe that our church is big enough, big enough to embrace everyone who believes in the Bible. You know, and that's, and that's a tension, you know, that, and that's, that, that's a tension there that we have to, we don't always balance well, because we, from time to time, have individuals who believe a little different um, th- than we do. Um, and and I, I also struggle with this as well, you know, we have, we have some Seventh-day Adventists who sincerely do not believe in the Trinity. Do you know that some of our pioneers do not believe in the Trinity? And so I have a hard time because immediately I want to say, oh, he's a heretic, discipline him. But wait a minute, if James White didn't believe in the in the Trinity, and, and maybe neither did um, Uriah Smith and some of our other founders. You know, what should be the proper approach? <laughs> or, uh, oh boy, I, I'm going to get myself in hot water here. I'm going to stop there, but uh, do you guys kind of see where this goes? 
Um, you know, there, there's a current uh, debate uh, among Seventh-day Adventists about the role of women in Scripture and in leadership. And man, it is just so, so tense and so divisive and, 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 they're, you know, and, and they're accusations that are thrown on either side. Well, you're not a true Christian and, well, you're a legalist and, and then, you know, you have this fighting. And, and in my mind, I think, man, can't we all just get along? You know, can't we all just kind of maybe respect one another and, and understand that our church is big enough for, for all of us? I mean, goodness gracious, Ellen White was a woman, right? And, and, and she led us. But then there were also men who were leading us, you know? And can we just learn to maybe, maybe get along and maybe respect one another? So yeah, so Seventh-day Adventists, we want to be really careful. We don't want to become Catholic in, in how stern we are and everybody has to believe exactly how I believe. Um, but yet at the same time, there's this tension because we don't want false doctrine in the church, Right? You know, and so how do you manage, how do you manage that tension? And I think the only answer is probably just, Lord, lead us by your Holy Spirit. Let us be faithful to Scripture to the best of our understanding. Now, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to become familiar with our teaching as Seventh-day Adventists. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. This is something that just kind of hit me close as well. Another reason why truth is important 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be ready to what? Give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, this is, now this is the practical reason why truth is important, apart from the ideas and, and, and uh, all the theology of it all, is that people are going to ask you, what, you go to church on Saturday? What's, what's that all about? And uh, what answer do we give them? And, and I kind of I struggle with this as well, you know, because they come up to me and they say, oh, you're a pastor. What, what are you all about? But just in Orlando, I was wearing a, I was wearing a T-shirt. It was a, it was a green T-shirt. I think it's a really cool T-shirt. Um, and on the front, it has a scripture passage. And I think it's Isaiah where God says, um, who shall we send and who will go for us? And then said I, here I am, send me from Isaiah. And on the, on the back of the t-shirt, it, it speaks um, from Isaiah chapter 58, where it says, if you will call the Sabbath a delight and the, the, the honorable of the Lord, and you know, then you'll be established on the heights. And I was eating, I was wearing that t-shirt, and I was wearing it because it's cool, because I think it's a cool shirt. Um, and I was wearing it, and I'm at this restaurant off of Mills, if anybody's familiar with Orlando, off of Mills, from Mills and Colonial. And uh, my wife took me there because she likes restaurants like that. It was a hippie restaurant. It was a, a fully vegan uh, restaurant, and um, so all kinds of hippies and new age people are there, and the, the place is called uh, Dandelion Community, T-E-A, Community Cafe, okay, Dandelion Community Cafe, and I was just sitting there eating my vegetarian chili with kimchi, or I don't know what combination they had on there, and as I'm walking, leaving, this guy comes up to me, and he says, Hey, what's, what's your t-shirt all about? What's your t-shirt all about? And, uh, and I was like, oh, oh, you mean this t-shirt? You know, I mean, it wasn't this one. It was another one, right? But I just, and, um, and I was like, oh, yeah, this, um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a great t-shirt. It's really cool. And let me show you where you can buy it online. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> what, 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 does, what does First Peter say? It said, uh, in your hearts, always be ready to give an answer 
you know, to everyone who asks about the faith that is in you. And so on the first, you know, talk about, Beck talks about the Sabbath, and, and he was there, and I don't know how to describe a hippie, but, you know, he looked like a hippie, right? He had a big beard, and he had, you know, long hair, and, and uh, he had, like, a couple, like, these big moon rings on his, you know, on his, on his ring, or on his fingers, and, you know, I don't know, you know how hippies dress, right? Um, and, and he was, it, and, and I realized afterwards that I did not give him the answer that he was probably looking for. Um, in fact, he actually told me, he's like, oh, I love Orlando. Sorry, I'm not making fun of him, but he's like, oh, man, I love Orlando. It's just so, so amazing, and there's just, there's just so many forms of spirituality here, and I just, oh, man, I just love it here. You know, and afterwards I was thinking, this was probably an opportunity that I could have told them, you know, the Sabbath is all about rest, and it's all about, you know, peace, and it's all about, you know, just being one with you know, with, with, with God. and well, don't, don't you think, you know? I probably wanted to say, well, it's the Sabbath is the Ten Commandments, right? Because that's not where he's coming from. But maybe I could have introduced the Sabbath as a way that maybe he would have understand, as a way to peace, as a way to spirituality. You know, and it was only afterwards that I said, Lord, forgive me and help me. So what about you? What about you in your life? When people come up and ask you what it is that you believe in, and and why doctrine is important, what is the answer that you give to them? This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.